0: Good morning. I didn't know that the video that came before me was going to be so epic sounding. <laughs> and I really felt the pressure to come up with something better than good morning, um, but I couldn't. And so, hi, <laughs> my, uh, my name is Nick Allen. I'm the family and children's pastor here at Rolling Hills, and I love the opportunity to step into the multi-generational body of Christ room, um, even for just a moment to talk about what it is that His Word unpacks for us. Um, and what it says, and who it intends for us to become in light of his word. Um, I am wearing sandals today. Um, many of you are too. I think that makes us closer to Jesus. And uh, <laughs> we're going to need that going into this particular passage of Scripture. Um, and so if you have your Bibles with you today, um, and I hope that you do, I invite you to turn to the book of Second Corinthians, because that's where we're camping out for this entire summer series called The Best is Yet to Come. Now, when I hear that title, I get a little bit excited and also a little bit anxious. Um, Excited because I love the idea of something awesome being around the corner, um, but anxious because I don't like waiting for things. Um, And many of you may be in that present struggle as well. I also have a theological stress point about this title, Um, so I'm just confessing that today and and one day in the future when I'm invited to come back to this spot and I'm talking about the fullness of the life that we can have in Christ today, you're going to tap me on the shoulder and say, yeah, but Nick, you told us the best is yet to come, and I'm going to be a little bit nervous about that juxtaposition of life. See, I don't believe that we're supposed to sit around and wait for some ultimate Holy Spirit power and unbelievable fulfillment in Christ when He returns, I think that we have that kind of Holy Spirit access to a completely fulfilled Christian life right now. That is not what this series title is communicating. We can and should walk in a fulfilled life with Jesus Christ. However, just because we've been forgiven of our sins and filled up with the Holy Spirit and purposed in this life to live a gospel-centered Christianity that changes the world around us does not mean that the chaos and the disorder and the mess in this life will disappear until. The fullness of Christ's reign at his return. I'm literally living in the land of in-betweens, inviting you to live in the in-between with me. The, the, the fullness of the presence of God's kingdom here, now, in the presence in the heart of believers because of the Holy Spirit, but then also the reign that is yet to come. I started at Rolling Hills almost eight years ago. This summer in August, I'll have my eight-year anniversary with Rolling Hills. I'm registered at Target and Pottery Barn. <laughs> Traditionally, the... Um, Eighth anniversary is pottery. Um, I did not know that because I'm weird. I only knew that because I googled it this week and found it on Hallmark.com. Next week, however, um, this is more of a reminder for me than it is for you. Next week on Wednesday, June 10th, is my actual 15th wedding anniversary to Susan Allen in the room somewhere. Yes. It's, it's because we got married when we were 11. Um, that wedding anniversary is Crystal. And... Um, we have three kids, a dog, and a mortgage. Ain't nobody got time for a crystal. We need paper plates. Um, so... <laughs> that little gift list can stay somewhere else. Okay, so here's a little story from my rookie year at Rolling Hills. I, Susan and I, we moved up here from a really broken, difficult church situation. I was a student pastor in Florida, and I actually came to Rolling Hills to be the middle school and high school pastor. That's my background. That's my history. It's what I did, and I loved it. Um, but we were in a very difficult, stormy church situation. Some of you have uh, walked in life of other churches before, and you've been in those difficult circumstances. For some of you, it made you step away from faith in God, um, forced to to believe in Him a little less because of the actions of other believers. You walked away. How can it be real? Christians aren't supposed to act this way. Well, we walked through a circumstance that was very difficult for us, and Rolling Hills inviting me to come and serve on staff here was very much a rescue and a respite from what was a difficult, dark moment in our life. Whenever that happens, what we have to realize is that, A, there's no such thing as a perfect church, um, Rolling Hills is not a perfect church. If you're looking for the perfect church, um, you're just not going to find it. Oh, hold on, the best is yet to come. It'll get there one day, but it's certainly not here today or anywhere else because the church is still full of imperfect people. And I was walking around in between, in between the fullness of God's kingdom because of Christ crucified and resurrected and the Holy Spirit filling my life, but then also still stuck in the mess of a world that is not yet perfect. So I came here and I started as pastor in middle school and high school students. I did what many of you have done the first time you get to Rolling Hills. I joined a small Small group. Rolling Hills is a church of small groups. If you're not in one, we will spend our summer inviting you to become part of one so that when the school year kicks off in the fall, you are already placed in a group and ready to do Bible study and life together. There's my PSA for small groups. If you're not in one, you should join C. Laura Chapman. Okay, our first leader was a guy named Kyle Cravens. He is incredible. Still leading small groups here today. Love you, Kyle. Shout out to you wherever you're at. It was a fantastic group. All of our groups have been great. We've loved them all. And this one was definitely no different. Kyle, because he happened to travel with work, many of you do that, Um, he asked me to lead one Sunday night. Well, I had the curriculum, I was a pastor on staff, I knew how to lead a Bible study, of course. I said, yes, I would lead that group that week. And so I did that. We had a member of the group share a testimony about God's faithfulness in their life when they were a child. It was a really moving story. We loved it. People shared prayer requests. We had Bible study. It was great. Now, at the end of every meeting, Kyle would send out an email to the group the following week, letting us know everything that had talked about in the group, summarizing it for those who missed, and then sharing the prayer request that we verbalized that night so we could continue to pray for the week. So I thought, as the leader of the Sunday night, I should follow up that week with the email. So I got on. I logged onto the list. I typed up the email, and I hit send without proofreading my email. Now, some of you have done that before, maybe not. Um, But you know how there are letters that are right next door to each other on the QWERTY keyboard, that if you hit the wrong one, it doesn't actually make you misspell the word, it makes you correctly spell another word? I sent a bad word to my entire small group within the first two months of being at Rolling Hills. I was mortified. A lady in our group named Krista Heron who has since moved to Texas. She is hilarious. I feel like all people who are really cool at Rolling Hills and get relocated to another state, it's either Texas or Arizona. I'm kind of mad at those states. Anyway, so she moves to Texas. She immediately forwards the email to Jeff, senior pastor, vacation this week, with the tagline, bah, ha, 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 look what your new youth pastor just sent our group, LOL, period. <sighs> Last week... Um, I did something similar, just typing up these notes, similar and just not quite as embarrassing. You see, I was typing up the word forgiveness, but you know, the M and the N are next door neighbors on the QWERTY keyboard, and what I got was the word forgive mess, which obviously had the red line of death underneath it, and when I went back to correct my mistake, what I found was a nugget of truth that I hope sticks with us the rest of our talk today. You see, it's not really a mistake. Because what we have received in Jesus is the forgiveness of all of the mess that's present in our world. And we need that thought as we dive into 2 Corinthians 4 today. But first, not without praying, um, A, because we need it. We need the Spirit of God to show up today and, and to show us something that we don't understand quite yet. Um, and B, um, because I just conjured up questions in your mind of what kind of pastor stands before me who said bad words to a small group. So. We're going to start today praying, and then we'll dive into 2 Corinthians together. Father, we are humbled by the fact that you would love us enough to offer your son's life as a ransom for our sin, and blown away by the sheer fact that you didn't have to do that, but you chose to do that. And what we're asking for today, God, is that you would speak to us from your Word in such a clear way that we would change everything about our lives and our thoughts to reflect the great gift that's been given to us in Jesus. It's in His name that we pray today, amen. There's another idea that I'm a little bit theologically kind of afraid of, it's the split between the idea of Jesus becoming our Savior and Jesus being our Lord. Growing up in a little Christian subculture bubble, I often heard a distinction being made between the two. You see, someone would say something to the effect of, they accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior at age 10, but they made Him their Lord at age 20 when they hit a rough spot in life. First of all, you and I don't make Jesus Lord over anything. He's already Lord over everything. And to somehow separate salvation from lordship is a fallacy because Jesus never came to be our get-out-of-jail-free card in a moment when we needed it. Accepting Christ's gift of salvation is the same as submitting to his supreme authority in every area of our lives. My role as husband, father, son, employee, employer, leader, whatever, are all defined and described specifically in God's word. My understanding of sin and the appropriate response to it in my life, they are defined and described by Holy Scripture. There is a moment in every Christian's walk with Jesus when we somehow wrestle with whether or not Christianity is a system of beliefs or a series of behaviors. And there have always been some who want to divorce the two and celebrate one over the other. Largely, that's what the Corinthian church was struggling with. Doctrinally, they were okay. That was their orthodoxy. What did they believe to be true? But behaviorally, the Christians in Corinth struggled. You see, it was difficult in their affluence to divorce themselves from the sins in their culture. That sounds familiar to those of us living in the good old US of A, particularly in this little pretty, nice, affluent part of it. None of it's new. Paul's letter to the church at Corinth could have just as easily been written last week to the church at Rolling Hills. And so today, we have to ask ourselves: how do we understand the difference between the two? Belief and behavior. Our orthodoxy and our orthopraxy, believing in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sin, is not an invitation to go on sinning. It's an opportunity to walk in a much better life. The best may be yet to come, but now can be better too. But not if we focus on one at the expense of the other. It's belief and behavior. It's better stated behavior because of belief. This word of Jesus that we believe can and should change us So today, um, in the same manner uh, that many TV shows begin with last week on Parenthood, um, we're going to actually start in chapter three, verse 17, and then make our way into chapter four of Second Corinthians, asking God um, to speak so clearly to us that we become a people who are different when we walk out than the way we were when we came in. Second Corinthians 3:17 says, "Now the Lord is spirit." And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Amen. We all, with unveiled faces, are reflecting the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord, who is Spirit. The Lord is Spirit. Now, this lesson for the Corinthian church is really appropriate for us today because they were wrestling with the idea of Trinity and what it meant for God to be present in three persons. It's appropriate today because there is an entire religion, an entire belief system called Islam that very much questions Christianity, largely because they consider us to be polytheistic, worshiping many gods when they believe there's only one God. And the reason they think we're polytheistic is because we're worshiping one God but present in three persons, and that smells like polytheism to them, and they don't necessarily like it. Paul was explaining to the Corinthian believers that the Holy Spirit was not just some proxy for God, but the actual presence of God. The same God of the Old Testament present in the story of Israel was now present in a redeemed group of people because of the Holy Spirit. And because of that, because of Christ's sacrifice, the Holy Spirit has been loosed into the world in the heart of believers, and we now have unveiled faces. We can see really clearly, whereas before it was kind of foggy, we can see super clearly the truth of God, and we have access to the power of God through the person of God because of the Spirit through Jesus Christ. And because of that, because of that, we're being transformed. You see, the work of the Holy Spirit in the world today is to transform lives, That's what's happening. That's what we're living in the middle of. It's a big art project where he's making something brand new every single day in the hearts of people who believe in Jesus Christ. The work of the Holy Spirit is transformation. Unless we be confused, let's face it, sometimes I'm confused and you might be too. It's a total mind, body, and spirit transformation. It changes our beliefs and it also manifests itself in our behaviors. This word of God, living and active through the power of the Holy Spirit, should change us. So therefore, the freedom that we have in Christ, and in light of that revelation that he wants to change us from the inside out, we land in chapter 4 and the word that he has for us today. Verse 1. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not give up. Paul's idea of new covenant ministry was that serving Jesus was far too... Okay, there's a lot of notes in your um, worship guide today, and we're going to fill in a lot of blanks, and we're going to do it kind of quickly, so you either want to hang on or not worry about them altogether. The words are going to appear on the screen, and this is really important. Paul's idea of new covenant ministry was that it was far too noble to abandon, and that Christ coming as the fulfillment of God's word was far too important to dilute. So what did he do? In the middle of any and every kind of adversity, Paul trusted God for strength. Why? Because it was too important to dilute. It was too noble, too abandoned. This message of Jesus Christ mattered far too much. So what did he do in the middle of the struggle that he had to proclaim it? He relied on God for strength to communicate. Where did it come from? He said, we have this ministry because we have been shown mercy. Paul had received mercy. And what did that mercy cause him to do? It caused him not to give up. Well, what is mercy? Um, it's the Greek word, eleheho, which sounds like hey, ho, hey, you know. I, sometimes I think Greek words sound like funny things. Okay, so it literally means to help the afflicted. To help the afflicted. We often get grace and mercy confused. I like this distinction that grace is God giving us that which we do not deserve. Forgiveness, salvation, eternal life. We don't deserve that. Mercy is God withholding from us what we do deserve. Punishment, separation, things like gnashing of tea. I mean, grace, God giving us that which we could never deserve. Mercy, God withholding the stuff that we do deserve. In the middle of our sinful affliction, Jesus helped. That's mercy. And in light of the fact that we have received that mercy we don't give up. Paul said in verse 2, instead we have renounced shameful secret things. So what did Paul do? What did it mean for him to accept mercy? It meant that he renounced sin. Instead, we have renounced shameful secret things, not walking in deceit or distorting God's message, but commending ourselves to every person's conscience, every person's evaluation, every person's understanding, commending ourselves to them. Say, hey, look inside and see what's happening. We don't want to distort God's message in God's sight by an open display of the truth. Sin is the convergence of two opposite ideals in human behavior today. To those of us who recognize sin as sin and prescribe to God's word as the authority of what is right and wrong, sin is usually what we do in secret when no one is looking and what we try to justify if someone finds out. We recognize sin as sin and it scares us and it shames us. To those who do not recognize sin as sin and prescribe to god's view of what is right and what is wrong they have a relative moral compass where every single person gets to make up for themselves the difference between right and wrong aka everybody else and for those people sin is what you put on display and often celebrate because of civil liberty you're your own boss you can make your own rules and who is anyone else to tell you that you're wrong the problem is this sin will define you unless you define it according to God's word. Sin will define us unless we define it according to the word of God. And what happens when we fail to recognize sin as sin according to what scripture says? We distort God's message. And that's what Paul was refusing to do. And that's what he encouraged the Corinthian believers to abstain from. And the best way to do that? An open display of the truth. Openness. The best thing for us to do regarding our sin is to expose it Matt Chandler says that it's better to step into the light willingly than to be drugged into it unwillingly. Put it there so that light can expose it. We don't pop a pimple in the dark, friends. We turn the light on so that we can see it, admit that it's there, and then clean up the mess. Paul was determined to renounce sin so that he could be a more accurate reflection of God's glory in order to be found reflecting the glory of God. Verse 3, it says, But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Who's been blinded? The unbelievers. This is a hard truth. If the gospel message is confusing, who's it confusing to? Unbelievers. Who else would be confused by the idea of a God who lovingly died for sinners to afford them eternity with him even though they could not and would not do anything to earn it? Who would deny that? People who didn't believe in it. People who refuse to repent of their sin and see the truth of Christ because they've believed the God of this age who is Satan and his lies. False accusers False teachers present in the Corinthian church accused Paul of preaching an outdated, antiquated message. And Paul showed that the problem was not with the message or with the messenger, but with the hearer. Jesus said over and over in the Gospels, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. And it was he who has an ear to hear, let him understand what this means. And when he talked about soil, And seed being planted in various, he four types. And the problem was never with the farmer or with the seed. It was always with the type of soil in which the seed was sown. The bottom line for us, confusing or not, is that you and I don't change a person. This church can't change a person. My kids' ministry, although I think it's awesome, can't change a person. Only God can do that. Paul said in another letter to the church at Corinth that he was great at planting seeds and another fellow named Apollos was really good at watering them. But only God can give growth. The only way to remove that veil of confusion is the Holy Spirit will of God. Paul went on in verse 5 to say, for we are not proclaiming ourselves. Paul was being accused of proclaiming himself. He says, we're not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Savior, as Lord, And ourselves as your slaves because of jesus for god who said light shall shine out of darkness he has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of god's glory in the face of jesus christ that's the definition of the transformed leader that's the definition of a transformed believer light shining out of darkness sin turned into repentance hearts that were once made of stone now turned into flesh shining the light of the knowledge of god's glory because they've been literally transformed to look like Jesus. Why in the world would we be using an illustration of light? Because only God Almighty in the beginning of time could have looked into the vast darkness and flipped on the light switch in creation. And only the God of this great universe can look into the darkest parts of my heart and yours and flip on the light of transformation. Which one has a bigger impact? Lighting a candle in an already well-lit room? We're striking a match in the pitch black dark. Which is the biggest surprise? Which is the greatest impact? Which is the biggest upset? It's the glory of God present in the very worst sinner. Paul called himself the chief. You and I could do the same. The best picture of the glory of God is rank people like you and I assembling in a place like this to study scripture and to tell God through our singing and through our thoughts that we love him. And that we might determine to live our lives willing to serve him. That's the truth of God's glory. It's in verse 7. Now we have this treasure in clay jars. See, pottery. Happy 8th anniversary, Nick Allen. We have this treasure in clay jars. Now, uh, the Greek version of clay jars is really earthen vessels. Um, In in seminary, we look at these lexicons, which are biblical language dictionaries, and you're supposed to memorize big, fat portions of them, and you're sitting there wondering the whole time, why can't I just look it up later? I'm always going to have this. It's all right. Um, I digress. The Greek word, the definition of clay pots or earthen vessels, has a footnote in it. And the footnote literally reads, with the added suggestion of frailty. You see, that's who Christ came to in us. Frail, ordinary, breakable, cheap, disposable people. Sometimes those clay pots were used to store household valuables, but most often they were used to hold garbage and even human waste. For crying out loud, this treasure in clay jars, these were the latrines of the first century. That's how Paul viewed himself. Lowly, humble, common, expendable. And despite the fact that we were told we were special as children and our parents sang a song about us telling us that we were one of a kind, we're the same. Lowly, common, expendable, sinful. And the truth of God's glory, the greatest truth of God's glory that you and I could embrace today and understand and live our lives in light of is this. The truth of God's glory is that it's found in the unlikely why in the world? Paul continues, so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. If you and I were precious, if you and I were extraordinary, if you and I were valuable on our own, the argument could be made then that the glory of God, or at least a piece of it, belonged to us. And that's not the case. The more humble we are, the more special God is he says in verse 8 we are pressured in every way but not crushed we are perplexed but not in despair we are persecuted but not abandoned we are struck down but not destroyed that's a testimony from Paul because he literally was pressured in every way but not crushed perplexed but not in despair persecuted but not abandoned struck down but not destroyed the truth of God's glory is that it's found in the unlikely and also that it's strengthened by adversity that's not just true because Kelly Clarkson sang it either what doesn't kill us does make us stronger Because it's the purpose of the Holy Spirit working in our lives to show that God is doing something great that we ourselves cannot accomplish. Verse 10 says, We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. For we who live are always given over to death because of Jesus so that Jesus's life may also be revealed in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. You gotta love a death image in scripture. They're all over the place. Why? Why? Because that was the manner in which God brought himself into our lives. The death of his son. Paul was explaining that the suffering he experienced was actually part of the gospel story. Because of his sufferings, Christ was communicated. Given over to death is literally the example of a death row prisoner being handed over to the executioner, the final act. It was Christ being handed over to those who would crucify him. For us, it means the constant death of our sinful selves so that we can be even more like Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit working in us in sometimes difficult ways to kill off the old so that he can birth in us that which is Brand new. It's a message of hope and it's a message of forgiveness of our mess, and it's worth it. For Paul, regardless of what he had to endure, regardless of what he received, regardless of what he experienced in this life, was worth it because the call of Christ was far too noble to abandon. And in verse 13, he writes, And since we have the same spirit of faith in keeping with what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. His belief begat his behavior. We know that the one who raised Jesus will also will raise us also with Jesus and present us with you. Indeed, everything is for your benefit so that grace extended through more and more people may cause thanksgiving to increase to God's glory. The cause was too noble, seeing others know Jesus. The call was too great. The message was too important, seeing those new believers in Jesus become fully functioned disciples of Christ. Paul's belief bettered his behavior. They were one and the same. This week we leave for kids in student camp on, on Tuesday. I'm really excited about what's going to take place. I love camp. It, it's a recipe for life change. This week our middle and high school students will be journeying through the entire book of Ephesians. Chase explained at our parent meeting on Wednesday night that they're going to spend half of the week discovering who they are in Christ and the other half discovering who they are because of Christ. It's belief and behavior. It's a chance for doctrine to influence discipline, for what someone believes to influence and dictate how they behave. For the believer, the two have to be connected. Where they are, grace extends through exponentially more and more people, and as a result, it's an exponential increase of God's glory right now. Not just then, but right now. The truth about God's glory is that it's found in the unlikely. It is always strengthened by adversity, and it's proved by people's confidence in Christ. Verse 16, therefore we do not give up. It's the second time he said we don't give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, even though life is awful and messy and imperfect, even though we're still waiting on the best for Christ to come back, we know that what we have is messy, but it's ever increasingly better because of Jesus and the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. Even though our outer person, that sinful self, is being destroyed, even though it's not perfect, we're progressing now. How? How? Our inner person, verse 16, is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. I love that juxtaposition. For our momentary light affliction. Sometimes the affliction we face in life doesn't seem very light. And sometimes it's all we can see in front of us to know that life is big and depressing and a struggle for us to even get up in the morning to know that there is turmoil around us and chaos everywhere that that is light affliction in comparison to the eternal weight of the glory of God that we have in Christ verse 18 so we do not in light of that so we don't focus on what is seen on the struggle that's right here on the temptation that's right here on the sin that's so attractive right here on the fear that's right here we don't focus on the unseen but on the seen but what is unseen for what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal. Paul's saying that no matter what we face, it's momentary in light of all eternity. The dash between two dates on our tombstone is small in comparison to eternity, and the glory that we will experience there with Jesus is never ending. The book of 2 Corinthians as a whole, as we'll encounter this summer, also presents us with some pretty clear truths about end times and what life is going to be like when everything else fades away. Those images are are really explicit in the coming kingdom that's described in Revelation. And I'm gonna go there briefly today and you don't have to turn because I'm gonna read just a couple of highlighted verses. It's all about the purpose of God's glory being found in his kingdom that is both here and yet to come. We could spend days, hours, weeks, months, years of our lives unpacking the work in Revelation and understanding both the kingdom of Christianity that's here today and the one that's yet to come. Disclaimer, anytime we do, The biggest temptation is to focus on the how and the when, because those are really interesting. (laughs) But the more important option is to focus on the what. We can debate the how and the when of eternity all we want, but it's far more important for you and I to live in the essential nature of the what is going to happen These are doctrinal beliefs that must manifest themselves in our behavior. The first is this, it's highlighted in Revelation chapter 5 verse 9, and they sang a new song. You, that's Jesus, are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seal. Because you, that's Jesus, were slaughtered. And you, that's Jesus, redeemed people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. The bottom line of what is eternal in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, the thing that we're supposed to be living our life in light of, the bottom line of what's eternal is that Christ alone is worthy. And that truth belongs on the tip of our tongue and present in every area of our lives because it's for him and by him and through him that we live and breathe and move and have our being. Every day, the things that we do and say and think and feel should be moving us more towards exposing the worthiness of Jesus in our lives so that when people look at the way that we live and the decisions that we make and the way that we govern our lives, that when people look at us, what they should see is an even better picture of how good Jesus is because he alone is worthy. Bottom line of what's eternal and worth looking at, Christ alone is worthy and his kingdom is supreme. It's summarized in Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. It says, then I heard a loud voice from the throne, look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. His kingdom is supreme. That truth belongs in our hopeful hearts so much that no death, no disease, no struggle, no fear, no power in this world overtakes us because in Christ, we know that there is a better attitude for us in this world and a better aptitude for us in the next because we are literally going to be living in the physical, hang out, high five, bow down, walk around in the garden in the cool of the afternoon presence of almighty God. And that's the supreme kingdom that we're waiting on it's a bottom line that eliminates our proclivity to want material things or to complain about trivial ones or to invest in temporal ones because all of that's gonna fade away and none of it will matter in the next life where all we have in front of us is the holy supremacy of God's kingdom and the worthiness of Christ. And finally, it's present in Paul's writing in verse 18 of 2 Corinthians, what is unseen is eternal. It will last forever. That thing that's unseen is described in Revelation 22, 5 when it says, night will no longer exist. You and I can't imagine that. We can't imagine a world where night, where darkness, where problems, where sin, where destruction no longer exists. That unseen thing is a world where night no longer exists. And people will not need a lamplight or sunlight because the Lord God will give them light. And they, not just he, and they will reign forever and ever The bottom line of what's eternal and unseen is that Christ alone is worthy. His kingdom is supreme. We don't always see that. We don't always see that one day the saints will reign with him. You know who the saints are? It's what they're called in chapter 22, verse 4, slaves. It's the Greek word doulos, and it's a bondservant of Jesus. We will reign with him forever. The gospel appears to be less concerned with some decision that you and I make and more about a kingdom that's offered to us by a God who invites us to live our lives in light of forever. We can have freedom from the ultimate consequence of our sin now and we will have freedom from the existence of sin later. The best is yet to come, but now it it, it is practice for the yet Because we get to walk and, and live our lives in light of the mess that we've been forgiven of because of Jesus. Walking in that will alter our behavior in this world as we seek to reflect the spirit of him who is in us. Our forgiveness in Jesus does not result in the immediate removal of our mess in this world, but our refusal to abandon the cause of Christ Regardless of the mess, will make it far less in light of who he is today, and especially in light of who he's going to be tomorrow. The future glory of God makes any temporal struggle that we have today as a man so worth it. But only if we live a life under the lordship and supremacy of Jesus Christ, where our beliefs are being manifest in our behaviors day by day, becoming a people who are far more interested in His glory than our own comfort we've been forgiven we've been offered mercy and we get to live life in light of that forgiveness every single day where our belief in jesus sets the tone for every behavior that we have in this world the world which will remain a total mess until the second coming of christ but here right now in jesus we can already have a taste of the best The best that's yet to come in his kingdom reign is present for believers who will take hold of him now. Paul's words, not mine, don't give up. Don't give up because the cause of Jesus is far too noble. He is far too worthy. His kingdom is far too supreme. And we will reign with him. And our confident pursuit of Christ has an opportunity to illustrate, even now, the very best He has to offer and the best that's yet to come when He reigns. Don't give up. Our momentary affliction is really light compared to the eternal weight of the glory of Jesus. And we proclaim that today. Will you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for giving us mercy. And we know that because of that mercy, we have a ministry to live our life as a reflection of the glory of God. May we be a people whose every thought and every action, regardless of every situation, Reflects the true glory of God May we live our lives as A sneak preview Of the greatness that is going to come In your kingdom And may others Somehow look at us And see so perfectly the reflection of Jesus That they want him to Holy Spirit we know that that does not happen because we purpose it in our lives. We know that that is only made possible by your work. And so we invite you to work in us and around us. We invite you to bring on any manner of person, any manner of circumstance, any offering of situation. Do whatever it takes, Holy Spirit, good, bad, and in between, to continue working in us A life transformation that begets Jesus. It's in his holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Um, Thank you for being here today um, and and continuing this journey with me through the book of 2 Corinthians. I'm excited to see, as a part of this series, everything that God will do. I want to extend a particular welcome to those of you who have come to Rolling Hills for the first time today. Um, Welcome and thanks for being here Um, There's a guest card in your worship guide that gives us an opportunity to get to know you, Um, and in just a moment, men and women will pass offering buckets, and I I invite you to baskets, I guess. I invite you to put those guest cards in there so that we might get to know who you are and say hello to you throughout the week. Speaking of offering, I invite our ushers, men and women, who will collect tithes and offerings to come forward. Um, And as they do, uh, the disclaimer is that this is as much a part of our worship experience as singing. This is as much a part of our worship experience as studying. And so today, God, we, we get to offer to Him um, gifts, tithes, offerings as an overflow of the generosity that He has shown us. Um, and we do it as an act of worship and as an act of obedience. Father, would you take these gifts and multiply them for use in, in the world so that more people may know you? Would you use them as a way to better illustrate your kingdom come? It's in the name of christ that we pray blessings on these gifts amen and as they do i invite you to turn your attention to a next steps video where we get to highlight something that's going on in the life of our church where people are taking next steps of faith Um, and i'm particularly excited about this one because it has to do with camp that i mentioned to you guys before
1: hey everyone welcome to our next step minute A time where we highlight people who are taking steps in reaching out, growing up, and giving all in our church-wide 24-month Next Steps initiative. Today we're talking about growing up. You'll hear from Darren Clark and Louie Griesheimer who are taking their next steps in leading at our Rolling Hills student and kids camp this week. I'm going to camp this year to help with the kids rec and to help serve with students' worship and I wanted to go to camp because it sounded like fun and because I saw it as an awesome opportunity to invest in the lives of the kids and the students at our church.
0: I'm going to camp this year to serve as a fifth grade leader for the boys and I'm gonna help out with rec and just have some fun.
1: I'm excited to serve with the next generation because I have two preschoolers myself and so in serving with these kids and these students, I'm helping disciple kids that will eventually disciple my kids and that my kids will look to as the leaders at our church. I went to camp as a kid and I look back on those memories and they're some of the best memories that I had. I went to kids camp, I went to student camp and it was an opportunity for me to grow deeper in my relationship with the Lord. It was a chance for me to grow deeper in my relationships with my friends. I mean, some of those people that I went to camp with, those are still some of my closest friends. Those are the people I call on when I need people to pray for me and those are just the people that built me up and they encouraged me through those hard years of um, high school and going off to college.
0: For me, what I'm hoping that the kids walk away with is just a deeper sense of how valuable and how special they are to God, um, because I think in our, our culture, um, that's one of the things that just kind of beats away at, um, at and the things that are fighting for our kids' attention is, you know, all these other things that try to cr- create and shape their identity. But through camp, it's a time they can unplug and they can just kind of get closer to God. That they that that's something they can really hold on to, and that like you will you know, make an impact in the rest of their lives.
1: Going to camp for me is a huge part of my next step because one of the things I wrote down was that I wanted to be discipled and I wanted to make disciples and so in going to camp this is uh, God just allowing me to help make disciples of these kids and of these students. As we head to camp this week one of the things that you guys can be praying for us is just pray for the kids and for the students that they will have open hearts just to receive what God has for them this week and pray for us as leaders that we will just also have open hearts to receive what God has for us this week because this is a huge chance for God to just speak to our lives as well. So just be praying for both the leaders and the students and kids. To learn more about taking a next step in growing up or for opportunities to serve with us, go to rollinghillscommunity.org slash next steps.
0: What we didn't show you after that um, the inflatable in the lake and the zipline experiences that both of those kids lived. Um, and we intend for that to be the case next week, too. I am not only thankful for Darren and Lily, but for the 50-plus other leaders who will be um, going with us next week as we take kids and students to camp. Um, We could not do it without those leaders taking next steps and investing themselves into the next generation. Um, You'll have opportunities to pray for them and for all of the kids and students going throughout the week. And so we invite you to do that. Um, We need those prayers as the Holy Spirit seeks to work in us um, to transform us more into the person of Jesus this week, and we're excited about that um, as we go. Would you stand and let me... Just pray a word of blessing over us as we go. Um, Father, it is only um, by your power and because of your word um, that we are here today. And so God, we um, humbly submit ourselves to your authority in our life and ask you to continue doing whatever it takes to better work in us the type of believers in Jesus that you want us to be. We want to be characterized and qualified, God, Um, as a people who believe um, and then who also live like Jesus. It's in his holy and precious name that we pray. Amen. Thank you.